Hey, sisters and brothers, I have a new sponsor, my friends Gary and Mary Lou from AlkalineWaterSoGood.com. They are international Kangen water distributors. Kangen water is delicious water created from Enagic's innovative water technology. Enagic is a 56-year-old Japanese company with 40 offices in 23 countries, including an office in Manila and eight offices in the U.S. And it is the leading manufacturer of alkaline ionizers and water filtration machines in the world. Not only do these devices filter your tap water, but they also produce ionized alkaline and acidic waters through electrolysis. These waters can be used for various purposes, including drinking, cooking, beauty, and cleaning. Can you imagine never buying bottled water again? The plastic and bottled water often contains BPA and other chemicals, which are proven to be hazardous to your health. And how much fun is it lugging cases of it from the market, recycling it, and you know, plastic is an environmental nightmare. According to Gary, it's also a great way to add an additional income stream. He's been selling machines for over 12 years internationally, and everyone needs the healthiest water in the world. So folks, if you have any questions about Kangen Water, check out their website at alkalinewatersogood.com. That's alkalinewatersogood.com. Or you can email them at gary at garyballin.com. You're listening to the Wolf's Den Radio Show. Talk. Hello, sisters and brothers. This is another episode of WDRS Talk. The Wolf's Den Radio Show Talk. Thank you very much for joining me. This is your host and your friend and your brother from another mother, <laughs> Wolf Himora, on the radio right here on your speakers. Thank you very much for uh, supporting this show by listening, and I really, really appreciate it. It is episode 22. All right, we are on a roll, and this episode is going to be a very special interview not that the other interviews in the past were special but this one is kind of little a little hot sauce on it you know uh and uh it also happens to be my first female guest and it is definitely not going to be the last female guest i'm going to have on this show and i am talking about miss june millington the guitarist and uh, lead singer of uh, the first ma- the first all-female rock band in the United States to record major label albums. I'm going to explain that to you in a bit, but before that, let's get through some business. Um, thank you very much for uh, uh, Gary, uh, Gary Ballin and Marilou, uh, Mama Lou, uh, for their sponsorship. With Kangen Water, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, please do check out Kangen Water. Uh, there's, there is an office in the Philippines, in Manila, and uh, like you said in the ad, there are offices here in the states, and it's great water. It's a water water filtration system, and it ionizes your water, man. Makes your water really fresh, really clean, and man, it's really good. So check them out. And I just want to invite everybody to please, please subscribe to the channels that you are listening to this on. Subscription always matters because uh, analytics, you know, in the internet th- these days, it's all about analytics and numbers. So 
the more subscriptions I have, the more subscribers, the more it's better for me and you're helping out the show. So if you're listening to this on YouTube, please uh, be a kind person and subscribe to the channel. You will get uh, fresh episodes as soon as they get out of the oven. And if you're listening on Spotify, give it a follow as well as Apple Podcasts and Anchor FM. And if you want to go a step further further to um, uh, uh, support the show, you can actually make a donation to the show. And I'm not, I'm not talking about clothes or shoes. I'm talking about actual moolah. And uh, that's a great way of supporting this show because all that, uh, all that money goes to the production of the show, the maintenance of the equipment, and if, if I need new new equipment, you know, new microphones or cords or whatever, then I have a stash to get from. And uh, you can uh, definitely make a donation on the Anchor FM, either the website or the app. Um, on this post, you'll see a couple of uh, links to YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. So go to the Anchor link and you will... Uh, I think you can find a support button or a donate button and just do that and you can any kind of donation helps doesn't have to be a hundred dollars it can be ten dollars I'd appreciate the, the both values nonetheless and uh, when you do that please um, leave your name and address wherever you are and I will send you a brand new sticker of WDRS the Wolf's Den radio show and uh, it's going to be the black logo that you see. Um, and if you do make a donation, I'll send you one right away. So check it out on Anchor FM, Anchor.fm, or the Anchor app. And uh, all right, so that's it. Please give us a follow on YouTube. And I really appreciate everybody's support. And uh, yeah, I love you guys. So anyway, going back to our subject of the day. Our Muy Caliente episode, Miss June Millington, lead guitarist and lead singer, and, uh, and also one of the songwriters of a band called Fanny, F-A-N-N-Y. And uh, these guys were, I discovered them only last year through a friend, Perf De Castro, the guitarist. Um, he posted it on, I think I, either he posted it or he texted it to me, a video of it. And it's a live uh, performance of them in Europe. I think it was in Sweden or some Nordic country. Um, and you could obviously see that June Millington was a Filipina, you know. And it's like, who is this? Who is Fanny and how, how do I not know about them? Because I am a music nerd and I have to know about this because they came out in the uh, early 1970s. 70 to 74 or 75, I think. They have four albums available on Spotify. And, you know, that era of rock and roll is my favorite era. So I was very surprised that I did not know that this band existed. It was never on my radar. It was never on my radar until last year. So I wanted to thank Perf for referring me to them because I am a huge fan now of Fanny. Yeah, I am a fan of Fanny. The, and, and you guys, I'm going to play you a song. Uh, I think their most popular song uh, before the interview um, 
uh, before I play the interview. And you'll see how good they are, <clears throat> you know. Um, and uh, especially June and her sister, uh, Jean Millington, who is the bassist also. Uh, I mean, who is the bassist and also a vocalist, one of the vocalists in the band. And so it's June and Jean Millington. Uh, they were born and raised in Manila. They had Their father was uh, obviously Amer- American with a, the name like Millington. That's a very American name. Um, he was a serviceman that was uh, probably in the Philippines during World War II. Or, yeah, maybe World War II. And uh, he met their mother over there. And um, that's, how they, that's how they came to be. Uh, their, their dad is American and their mom is Filipina. And they, uh, they came to the States in the early 60s. And I think they were maybe in their uh, early teens or pre-teens. So basically, they, they did grow up a bit in the Philippines. And, but they mostly grew up in the States. So, so they formed the band Fanny and they played in Hollywood. They played in the Whiskey O'Go-Go. If you, if you go to their... Uh, if you go to June Millington's page on Facebook, uh, all their pictures from the back in the day are there. Oh my God, they played in the Whiskey A Go Go. Um, they look like rock stars because they are rock stars. They are a great band. You know, uh, of course, during that time, all female quote unquote rock bands were not taken seriously. Um, I guess, you know why. You know, it's it's unfortunate, but it, that's how it was. But uh, it was always seen probably as a novelty. It's like, ooh, look, girls playing rock and roll. But these particular women, they knew how to rock and roll. Jean Milling, June, uh, no, June Millington can play a nasty slide guitar, and you can you you'll hear it on this song that's coming up. And she was actually friends best friends with Lowell George of uh, Little Feet uh, a great slide guitar player as well and uh, she was also best friends with Jeff Skunk Baxter of the Doobie Brothers and Steely Dan who is a great slide player as well they taught each other how to play and uh, they supported each other and uh, and Fanny is awesome right when I dis- when Perf referred them to me then my next visit to a local record store, I actually found the record, the third album called Fanny Hill. And I was like, this is the band. This is Fanny. And uh, you're going to see the, the album cover on the post on Facebook and or wherever. And that is June at the center with all her Filipino glory and her sister on her right side, Jean, with all her Filipino glory as well. And they're two beautiful Filipino sisters who can rock the fuck out. And I am a new fan. Like I said, I'm such a fan. And, uh, and David Bowie was also a fan. Uh, you'll, you'll hear all these stories in their interview. John Lennon, when, when, when they, because the third album was recorded in England, in London. So they would hang out, and there was one time, that she, I, I think one of the stories, she'll tell it better than me, but I just want to get you guys excited, that they were, uh, they were at a party, and I think their manager or somebody who knew them said, hey, Gene, um, John Lennon wants to meet you. He wants to talk to you. 
Like, fuck. I mean, what the fuck? John Lennon wants to meet you. And he wants to talk to you. What the fuck is that shit? It's fucking awesome. <laughs> One of the most... Oh, I can't, you know, I mean, hey, it's it's all there. So that's that's a, just a testament on how good how good a band Fanny was and how good their music is. And I really would like to invite you to please please um listen to the music on Spotify or on YouTube. They have so much uh uh footage on YouTube especially old footage, live footage so that you can see that these women can play their instruments really well. Ah, they're so good, man. I'm such a fan of Fanny right now. And um, I, I just want to say, if June Millington is, is listening to this, I just want to say that Tita June, I really appreciate you making the time for this interview. The Filipinos really need to know that a band, your band existed and that you guys made such really good music and I just I'm really I really appreciate that you did what you did and it's just pin, hashtag Pinoy Pride this is exactly what hashtag Pinoy Pride is and uh, I hope you enjoy this interview so please do check them out Fanny F-A-N-N-Y on Spotify they got all their albums there check them out on YouTube watch their live footage from back in the early 1970s and uh be a fan. Be a fan of Fanny. <laughs> so uh, the song I'm going to play for you before the interview is uh, it's a song called Ain't That Peculiar. And it's actually a... Um, uh, sorry about the outside noise. I'm in the car right now. Um, it is a cover of a Motown song from Marvin Gaye, I think from 1964. And uh, the original version is very upbeat very Motown, uh, very lively, although the lyrics are kind of not as happy as it sh- as the music portrays it to be. Um, but uh, Fanny did a really, I mean, they, their version is so rockified. And the, the one thing that I want you to notice is that when the, when the chorus comes in, when the main chorus comes in of Ain't That Peculiar, it goes halftime. And during 1972, when this album came out, I don't think there was any band doing halftime choruses, like heavy halftime choruses. That only came, uh, you know, in, in mainstream music I'm talking about is when alternative music and grunge music happened, you know, and, and the new wave of, uh, I mean, the alternative music of the 80s, like the Pixies, they're the ones who were doing halftime choruses like and Nirvana, and um, and uh, Fanny did it in 1972, and uh, it's it's heavy, man. It's really good. And um, if you listen to the song with the slide guitar and the bass lines and the halftime choruses, it's a song that Stone Temple Pilots would not. It would not be far to imagine them doing this version of that song. So that's how good this band is. So, uh, so there you go. And they also have a song that I'd like to recommend for you uh, after you listen to the interview. It's called Blind Alley. And it is a scorcher. Oh, my God. Rock and roll to the max. The vocal 
harmonies and the vocal uh, performances of Gene and June and their and their piano player, the keyboard player, is just what female rock and roll sounds like. And they were the first. They were before Heart, uh, the Runaway, uh, the Runaways, and the Go Go's. They looked up to Fanny. Uh, so that's that's their contribution to rock and roll, man. Even though they didn't become famous. That's why I'm doing this uh, podcast so that she gets her due. They get their due, the whole band, not just June and Jean, but the whole band, Fanny. All right, here we go. Uh, episode 22, WDRS Talk, the Wolf's Den Radio Show Talk with Wolf Amara and the great Miss June Millington. Enjoy.
Thank you, Miss June Millington. Welcome to WDRS Talk, the Wolfstand Radio Show Talk. Uh, and uh, it's so it's such a, an honor and to have you here. And uh, a lot of my friends back in the Philippines are clamoring, dude, you got to get her on your podcast. You got to interview this woman. So I'm like, so I'm so happy that uh, you're here. Thank you. You're so welcome. You got me. <laughs> yeah, I finally got you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, in, so I, 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 I tried my best to explain who you are in the in, in the intro of this episode, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, so I had to do uh, my research, and uh, I am amazed at at what you and your sister and your bandmates have accomplished in the short time that you were, you know, that you were active. And um, it's just, because I, I, um, I, I, I want to start this episode by my experience of how I discovered you guys. And it's, it was only last year. Okay. It was really only last year. And when the, the start of the lockdown, you know, everybody's home and you have a lot of time in your hands. And then a friend of mine, a guitarist from uh, the Philippines, he, I think he, he linked a, a video of um, the song uh, "Ain't That Peculiar," you know you're, that that's that live clip that you had from back in the day. I think it was a it was a television performance, and then you just mentioned that you know the the two sisters, the two lead players, are Filipino. Just like oh wow, okay. I don't know about this and I'm and I'm and I'm a music nerd so I'm I was like how do I not know this and especially that you're Filipino so when I clicked the link and it came on I'm like holy shit yeah there she is Filipino very Filipino and when I saw it and you were playing slide you had a Les Paul and all the members were rocking out and your sister was oh my god I'm like these guys these are rock stars how 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 did I not know about this band and um, a couple of days later, I went to a record store and I found your second album, Fanny Hill, in the racks. And I was like, oh, this is the band. This is Fanny. And I was like, so I, I bought it right away. And then when I, I put it on, when I got home, and uh, that first song, Ain't That Peculiar, it sounded so good. I'm like, I was shouting the whole time. I was shouting, it's like, wow, wow, who are these people? How come I don't know about them? And then every song, and the and the production on that second album is so good because it was recorded in, in London, right? That was actually the third album. Oh, the third uh, album. Yeah, that was the one recorded at Apple Studio with um, Jeff Emmerich, the Beatles uh, recording engineer, oh at their God. studio. Yeah. Wow, yeah, and, and it sounds... It, it sounds so good. Yeah. Um, and then all your, um, you were, and then, and then I started doing my real research and then I <laughs> went to your website and then YouTube and then you have an unfinished documentary. Yeah. And, uh, and then I was learning all this, this, the, the facts on Wikipedia and even Oh my God, even David Bowie was a fan and David Bowie was not just a fan, but he was like championing you guys with, with even writing about you guys on Rolling Stone. 
Yep, he was a huge fan. He was he was sincerely a huge fan. Wow. So so yeah, so that's how that's how I reacted when um I first discovered <laughs> Fanny. <laughs> I was so Well, a lot of people actually do react like that. Like, how did I not know? You know? Yeah. Um, we can cover some of that. How did you not know? It's a little bit, it's even is still shocking a little bit to me. And I was there, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, we worked so hard. No, I, I realized that now that I did my, my research, I'm like, mm-hmm. it's like each album. And then I went back to the first album and even the first album is good. I have a lot of questions about that first album too. I mean, the songs are so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, we didn't fool around. We were definitely full on in everything that we did. And the songs are not just in one style. You know, when we uh, got to L.A. in 1969, May of 1969, actually, we were more of a funk band than mm-hmm. we were rock and roll. It was the industry that uh, kind of not forced us, but it definitely turned us towards the direction of rock and roll. Rock and, and roll. I think it's because... Rock was really the only frame that, uh, um, you know, recognition systems could uh, hear girls playing. Like, funk didn't seem right, I guess, to the people who managed us and the record company and all that. So they more or less pointed us towards uh, rock and roll. And we were such good musicians that we were able to, uh, you know, for me, I didn't even play lead when we got to L.A., and on mm. the first album is Badge, and I, I learned how to play lead uh, guitar in one year. Is that, is that because you? I'm Filipina. You know, Filipinas yeah. know how to work. We know how to study. I mean, I went to Assumption, and I went to American school. Oh, my God. And, you know, they made us work our asses off, and, um, mm-hmm. our off, and we knew how to work. I mean, it just so happened that the other girls in the band, Alice, and it ended up being Nikki on keyboards, Mm-hmm. Uh, they also knew how to work, but they didn't have to learn lead guitar, you know, like. Right wow. Away. So yeah. is that you? Is that you on lead on badge? Yeah, I'm, I'm oh. on lead on everything. I'm the guitar player. So mm-hmm. you just learned how to play lead and you played that solo on badge because that solo is fire, man. It's like so on fire. And- yeah, but I got to drop a couple of names here, you know. Uh-huh. Not only did I work hard every day, but I had really good friends who were great guitarists who, who helped me in the process just by jamming with me, sort of like night and day. Mm-hmm. And those would be Lowell George from Little Feet, um, mm-hmm. Skunk Baxter from, at the time, he was with, um, he wasn't with the Doobie Brothers yet. He, he was, was with, with Steely uh, Dan, right? He was with Steely Dan, and he was actually my guitar repairman. I didn't even know he played guitar. Oh my you know? God. So when he heard me play guitar, <laughs> it completely freaked him out. You know, I was like, what, 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 you know, <laughs> and we became really great friends. So I would say, you know, those two guys not only shared their expertise, but, uh, but they shared, you know, like Lowell would come over and he would play me new songs like Willen, you know? Mm. So there was a certain art, to presenting music and i'll tell you what we call the classic rock guitar sound now was being invented then and i was there i was there that's why you sound that's why you sound like all of them that's why your guitar tones like that because you were there well in part yes but also at some point i gave up trying to sound like everybody else 
Mm-hmm. You know, so when you give that up, it, it leaves a lot of space inside of you and a lot of time. Right. So I just started to dig into what I really, uh, let's say, number one, liked and number two, knew. And as I knew more, I gradually grew into the June Millington, what is now known as my sound, which to me, it doesn't even really <laughs> seem that special, but I know it is because oh, it's spe- sounds oh, like- no, 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 no. It's special. Uh-huh. It's special, especially when you, <laughs> it, I, I noticed that you, you're, I think, well, I think in my, you know, when I hear your music and when I hear you play a uh, lead, when you hit those high notes, when you're bending, oh, I can feel it. Whatever you're trying to put out there, I feel it every time. It's like, oh yeah, and and I and uh, I'm still in that really fresh fan face because I'm still shouting when I listen to you. You know, when you're when you're playing that band in that in badge yeah. in that version of badge, I'm screaming in the car. It's like, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. bend that note. You know, it's like, yeah, because uh, because um, that song is special to me because um, I'm a drummer and back in the Philippines. When we we were, I was active during the '90s, and when we were starting out, my band uh, was named Wolfgang. Mm-hmm. Badge was one of our first covers, and we played Badge all the time. So mm. when I saw when I saw the, I was like, "Oh, Fanny plays Badge. Is this the Badge of Cream?" <laughs> and then when I turn it on, I'm like, "Oh, it's Badge of Cream." And then you have a totally different version, mm-hmm. which is really cool too. Well, frankly, I think ours is the definitive version. You know, I think that Mm. Cream did a really good version, a great version, but I think ours is the definitive version. Yeah. And I just say that because I can feel it even now. There are certain notes that I hit that are kind of, um, they're not just intentional, but they're a plea. They're a real uh, emotional plea. Mm -hmm. And it's directed right at you, you know, and you felt it. What mm. 40, 50 years later, so you yeah. responded yeah. to that. Yeah, it's very intentional. Wow, yeah, well, I felt it, so there you mm-hmm. go. Yeah, you're yeah. right. I mean, uh, yeah, I was like, I felt it that I was shouting, you know, I was <laughs> shouting mm-hmm. in the car like a madman. So, anyway, <laughs> so anyway, um, of course, people are going to be listening to this and they want to hear you and your sister's backstory because, of course, you were. There is this thing I don't know about. I don't know if um, if you know this about in the Philippines. There is thing. There's this hashtag that Filipinos use. It's called Pinoy Pride. Ah, yeah. Well, it's I'm a way into that, that man. I'm way into Yeah, that. and then they they usually use it when they find out that somebody who's famous already has mm-hmm. some sort of Filipino roots. Mm-hmm. Any any kind of Filipino roots. And then they'll say, mm-hmm. oh, this guy, this girl, Pinoy Pride, Pinoy Pride. Even though that person has never been to the Philippines or has no clue about their culture, mm-hmm. but they just happen to be, mm-hmm. a, a, their grandma just happened to be Filipino, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, you know. So when it's a legitimate, you know, um, artist or, or anything or uh, a person of recognition, that hashtag Pinoy Pride gets really serious. It was there okay. for, it was like for uh, like Kirk Hammett of Metallica. Mm-hmm. He's Filipino. Everyone yeah, knows yeah. it. Everyone yeah. knows it. And everyone's just, yeah, there's a Filipino in Metallica. You know, it's mind blowing, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. So now. Well, I'll tell you, there's a, a documentary that is coming out within mm. two months, and it'll be ongoing in, in the way that it's uh, unveiled at festivals and, and all that. It'll be ongoing until 2022. And mm-hmm. it's called, uh, you know, right? It's called Fanny Colon The Right to Rock. But aside from that, there's also a Fanny musical being written, and there's a script for a movie or a what? TV uh, series. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that's actually about to explode uh, wow. around Fanny. But, you know, the important thing is that we're still here. Hey, so I can tell you. I know. I can tell you our Arp and I story, right, from, you know, directly from me. It's And it's all true, you know. We're culturally Filipino. We grew up in Manila. So what's the so, so what's uh, so what's the story? Let's let's do your your uh, Okay, so you got to give me like 5 minutes uninterrupted time because this is this is a big story and it's long. So you want to hear from up. the top? Go. Okay. So my mother met my dad who was a lieutenant commander in the US Navy. He actually graduated from Annapolis. He's from Burlington, Vermont, which is not that far north from where I live right now in Goshen, Massachusetts. So I'm basically a post-war baby. She's full-on Filipina. She's Limhoko Lejano. Maybe some of you know the people listening in the Philippines uh, know those names. Limhoko was uh, her, you know, her uh, family surname. Uh, Lejano was her mom's name, Felicia Lejano. So I'm born in 1948, and we are raised, now you know this, Filipinos are matrilocal, so we were raised in our grandmother and grandfather's compound, okay? It was big. It was big. In fact, I wrote a book called Land of a Thousand Bridges. Anybody wants to get it can, and I have a long section about uh, growing up in the Philippines and lots of photos. But the main thing I want to... um, expresses that we were raised Filipino, Filipina. We were raised culturally. I feel a lot more Filipino than I do American. Although, mm-hmm. of course, uh, you know, I know all. But, you know, I, we used to sneeze, ha-ching, not ha-chu, ha-ching, right? Yeah. So we're kind of laughed at because there's a lot of little things that I was like, Jesus, why are you, you know, uh, kind of putting us down or whatever. But aside from that, so... Uh, I went to Assumption, uh, not Assumption, um, St. John's um, in kindergarten for two years. So that's a Filipino school. All my uncles went there. You know, Gene went there as well. And then we went to American school. And that's, um, we were still living in our grandmother and grandfather's house, which was a huge place, like I said. Some of our the unmarried aunts were still living at home. They were not allowed to leave. Uh, some of our uncles were living there with their kids. So we grew up in an extended Filipino compound. There, were, it was no, there was no American about it, except our dad, who was totally accepted. They loved him, of course. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're in this compound, and it was, like I said, it was big. And a little detail I got to give you is that our grandmother and grandfather's ice plant was at the end of the block and it was the only one in Manila or maybe all of the Philippines that wasn't bombed during the war. I mean, seriously, the only one. And so who needed ice with their Cokes when they won the war? Americans. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So we grew up sort of with an affluence, but when we hit American school, for me, that was first grade, that uh, did not hold, uh, you know, too much weight. I was still Filipino, you know, and at American school, I really felt diminished. But the interesting thing is we were still living at San Juan Rizal, which was the name of the estate, you know, it was huge. I mean, huge house, servants and, you know, houseboys and Cadillac that had its own driver, you know, that kind of thing. Two fish ponds, three lawns. <laughs> But that's the world I grew wow. up. But when I yeah. Went, yeah, when I went to American school, I really felt small. So that was kind of hard. It was like a pinched way to, to grow up and have an identity. In fact, I didn't have an identity. I didn't know who I was, you know, except when I was with the Filipino family. And then around, let me see, maybe around uh, second grade or so, we moved out to our own house which was, and maybe some people know this club, right by the newly formed Wak Wak Club. <laughs> golf Club. Wak Wak I used club. to live right next to the Wak Wak Golf Club. Okay, so, you know, we were right across the creek. So from about third to sixth grade, I think it was, I went to American school. That was not, for me personally, not a great experience. However, my dad decided he was moving back to the States, and my mom finally agreed. So... He got on a, on a plane and he came here and he drove all, all over the U.S. actually to find a place that he thought. And I asked him about this. Why did you choose Sacramento? Mm-hmm. And he said, because I thought that you would have the least amount of discrimination there. Well, that was the least amount of discrimination. It was still a lot. However, there were, were a lot of Japanese, Chinese, Filipinos, you know. So it did have a diversity. However, being brown, again, you know, it was kind of a drag until uh, nine, no, Miss Warren, until the variety show at the junior high in 1965. I had just written my second song called Miss Wallflower 62, which we performed with two other girls, you know, four guitars, four girls singing Miss Wallflower 62. Now, uh, another detail is that we did, we switched from ukuleles to acoustic guitars just about two weeks before stepping on the ship uh, to go from Manila to San Francisco. And that's because, believe it or not, I heard a young girl who I believe was an angel to to show me an an acoustic guitar. The last day of school, I'm sitting in Mother Milagros at Assumption. You know, they're really tough. I mean, they're really strict. But I heard this sound and I literally got up and walk down the hall, which was basically an outdoor veranda. And you know in movies when everything stops and everyone freezes and the person can walk around and do whatever, and they come back and then everything resumes? That's mm-hmm. basically what happened. Mother Milagro said not one word. The students didn't even look at me. I walked down that veranda hallway, and there was this girl about three, maybe three classrooms down, and she was facing the corner of the opposite wall and she was playing a guitar on a goose guitar and I remember exactly what I thought which was why didn't anyone tell me I mean it was just like emblazoned why didn't anybody tell me I knew that this was my ticket to my freedom you know and that's partly why music to me means so much it means everything it means the way that I 
got onto a higher plane and started to write songs and how me and Jean started to get attention because people started to stop us in the hall. They say, hey, I really like that song. And they just keep walking. But at least they'd said something to me or her or to Jean. So that was a really, really big deal. And that was the start of our liberation into music. You know, we didn't go into, let's say, rock and roll, or basically it was folk and then into Motown funk and then rock. We didn't go into music for sex, drugs, into rock and roll or rock and roll. We would just want to have like one friend, <laughs> anybody who would say hi. And I don't know if you know that feeling, but that is, you know, when you're really lonely, one person mm-hmm. who will stop you in the hall and say, hey, I really like that song. It means everything. So that is my loyalty to music per se. And of course, I've been through, you know, when I quit Fanny in 1973, I didn't just walk off on some cloud, you know, and stop playing. So I've been playing music since since then. And there are many phases I've gone through. But that's basically... Um, by 1964, late 64, 65, we were starting a band. Uh, me and Jean, because a, a, a girl from a rival high school heard about us and she called and she said, hey, you want to start a band? And I remember we, I, I picked up the phone in the kitchen because we were doing the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> and this girl said, hey, I heard you play. Would you like to start a band? I mean, really, it was really no, you know, much of an introduction or whatever. And I looked at Jean and I said, this girl wants to know if we want to start a band, you know? And we just kind of looked at each other for, for a split second. She nodded and I turned and said yes into the phone. And that was the start of what became, uh, you know, the four Fanny albums starting in 1970 and playing at both the Fillmore East and the Fillmore West. And, you know, all the adventures um, that we had that were just ultra fantastic. And they were all true, by the way. <laughs> the problem yeah. for us is that people couldn't see it. People couldn't really see it. You know, first they would laugh at us and then they would fall in love with us. And then, you know, so and so on and so forth. And finally in 73, I, I, I kind of fell apart because we should have had uh, enough recognition. Like I hit for the record company to not be going, hey, you're not selling enough records. Well, we were selling 60,000 units per album. Mm. I mean, you know, now that would be like, I don't know, gold or platinum. So I had to leave and it was really heartbreaking because, um, you know, Gene and I had worked so hard to get to this point Mm -hmm. where we could play our asses off and we knew it. You know, we would walk into a room and we would rule. But I was falling apart. My mom thought I was going to die. And it wasn't because of drugs. I, I just, my heart was broken. I just was, it was like being on that bad acid trip, you know? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> kind of hard to explain, but it was a really terrible state to be in. And um, I felt like I needed to leave basically because I needed to learn how to become an authentic human being. Mm-hmm. And that led me to Buddhism and Woodstock, New York, and so on and so forth. That's a, a whole other, you know, piece of the puzzle. Yeah. So, wow. So when yeah. you were, you were already, you were already playing. Yeah. You started playing when you were still in Manila, right? Is that what you meant? Yeah. We started playing ukuleles, but the important, oh, okay. oh, about, right. yeah, the important thing about the ukuleles is that we were learning songs off the of radio. So basically mm. we were ear training. So when you do, 
Neil Sadaka's calendar girl when you're eight or nine, you know, you're really learning form. You're learning harmony, you know? Uh, So we were learning songs off the radio from the minute we started to play ukulele. So of course, Harry Belafonte was huge, you know, and we were learning great songs. Wake up little Susie on ukulele is pretty hot. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I love Uh Harry Belafonte, man. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so I don't know how many girls were doing that around the world. I doubt if too many, but we did it in mm-hmm. the privacy of our room okay. with the radio. So people weren't laughing at us. People weren't saying, hey, what are you doing? Or that doesn't sound good or whatever. We didn't have that judgment. We had those two or three years to develop ear training. And it was really, really incredible. Wow. Yeah. So, So what was the... Because here, um, I don't know if the East Coast has Barnes and Noble bookstores, but uh, here in the low, here in Southern California, they sell um, uh, like like a like a small digest of each city in Orange County, like Santa Ana, the Lagunas, mm. and you know the the origins of those cities. Mm-hmm. And there was one edition that featured. California, um, California bands during the sixties mm. because they were mm. they were featuring uh, the surf rock era, I think yeah. that was. Yeah. And so, so I would rummage, and there was a lot of pictures, you know. And of course, you're reading mm. a book, you like to see the pictures. And during that era, there were so many. There was a lot, not not many, but a lot in the pictures of female lead guitarists. And the music mm. was like, you know, it was surf rock. So it was, they were obviously the ones playing the, the lead, you know, the lead surf solos, you know, like, uh, like uh, Dick Dale and, and stuff. And there was at least, at least four of them with, like, you know, wearing dress. This is like the early 60s and, and they were wearing dresses and high heels and, you know, the, the garb of, of that era. But they were, they had the Jaguars, they had like uh, the Strat, mm-hmm. strung low. And I was like, Oh my God! Mm-hmm. There were women rocking out in the early '60s. It, you know, yeah. it's like it's it's so uh, it's such a when I when I saw that and then with Fanny, it's like it's such a disservice to these women that they were just like you know it's just a picture in a bro- in a in a book now where yeah. they were probably kicking all the other guys' ass in that in those shows <laughs> you know on the guitar. Well, like I said, you know, the public wasn't ready to see that frame. You know, mm. for us, there was no frame that we could reference. You know, the closest wow. was a space, but they did not play instruments. So, in fact, what we did was we created a frame and we stepped into it. We literally stepped into a frame that at least, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people around the world saw it, but quite a few because we were, we ended up, you know, recording four albums and being on mm-hmm. all the major TV shows and so on. Uh, So at least there was a little bit of glimmer, but it just was a, you know, society was not ready to see that picture. I mean, they they would see it, but they would not see it. You know, how many people have said to me, you know, I saw some shows somewhere, but, you know, not enough. There was not enough of a, you know, hundredth monkey syndrome to push it over number 40 with Charity Ball. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was pretty high. That was pretty high, you know. Oh yeah, I, um, I believe you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so the so it was just 
it wasn't exactly frowned upon, but just like. Are you kidding? It just, yes, oh, it was oh, totally frowned upon. Are oh, you kidding? Really? No. Oh, Let okay. me tell you a story that's in my book, okay? Uh-huh. Okay. High school. We're playing at Teen Center, probably in Santa Clara. And so we're wearing our dresses. We always wore matching dresses and this like four boys come up and stand in front of us. There are a lot of kids in the room, you know, teen center. And this one boy starts to stand in front of me. He's pointing out my skirt, okay? And I move away, and he moves with me. He's pointing, he's leering, he's laughing. With his friends. You know what? And this is in the book. Mm. I said, I got so upset, I finally kicked him in the face with my high heels, okay? <laughs> yeah. Kicked him in the face. And the, the closing line of that chapter, don't piss off a girl with a guitar in high heels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, but that was just like, you know, I remember that as an incident, but it was like across the board. We would walk onto a stage and remember we did mm. high schools, colleges. We played for guys about to leave for Vietnam. We played air force bases, officers clubs. You know, we took any gig, we could, and the way that we found out that we were getting better and better is that people got up and danced. They mm. couldn't wait to get to the dance floor. So that is what turned everything around. We were good. We were good way before we got to L.A., you know. Mm. We could kick out. We provided the beat. You know, we could play Do You Believe in Magic, for example, or Land, Land of a Thousand Bridges, which is why, uh, I mean, Land of a Thousand Dances, which is why yeah. my book is called Land of but midnight hour, you know. Wow, you were we playing that stuff. Ball. Wow. Well, anything that was on the radio, we mm. played and people danced to it. So that was the frame that we could fill, and we totally filled that frame. I mean, it was bursting, you know. So um we did that, but as far you know, and people still now they kind of say, Oh, well, you know their uh, original songwriting wasn't that good. I mean, I beg to differ. We have a lot of great no, songs no. on each no. album that we wrote. But, yeah. you know, I'm starting to answer people. I'm not taking I'm 72, and I'm a pissed off Filipina. <laughs> Don't tell me that our writing was not good. You know, No, it was Did good. You even try it. You're wrong, man. Yeah. No, no, they're wrong. Yeah. No, because I, I, I noticed I did the same thing. I had the same thought. It's like, because the ain't peculiar, um, I I hadn't I didn't know that it was a Marvin Gaye song. Well, see so right there. Like, so to me, so to me, that song is a, a Fanny song. That version is yeah, my. Yeah, we ver- played that in the Svelts in our high school mm. band. Don't you dig it? We were playing those Motown songs in the Svelts in high school. So if you want to wow. understand Fanny, you gotta understand what we were doing since 1964-65. Right. In those five years, we were playing every hit on the radio. Knock on wood. To serve with love. Mm. Get me a ticket to an airplane. Ain't got to you know, a letter. The only day that gone, you know, my girl. I mean, when we did my girl at an Air Force club, I mean, guys, you know, they just got out of basic training. They're just about to be sent to Vietnam. They had to put mm. MPs on the stage. Wow. You know? So we knew how to do it. And we knew all those apple speeches, pumpkin pie, which you probably don't even know. Right? Yeah. yeah. You don't know that song. Okay. So no. that was a huge hit. I mean, if you didn't know that Marvin Gaye did, Ain't that peculiar, you know? Uh So there were a lot, there was a lot of material that we knew 
like the back of our hands. I mean, you know, the, the song that Jean sang and she plays that totally kick-ass bass, you know, Young and Numbers, a B-side mm-hmm. of, uh, of I Can Tina Turner. Oh, we took that tune and we totally turned it on its head. I mean, it's not that good, the original. So we would take these songs and yeah. turn them into works of art. But yeah. we also had our own works of art, which was our own original music. And there's not one bad thing we ever did. No, there yeah. isn't. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I challenge any band in the world to go out there and do uh, Hey Bulldog. I mean, I'm, now I'm talking about covers, Hey Bulldog and, uh, you know, Badge, um, you know, and other covers. But we also had like, you want to try and play Place in the Country? which was Nikki's song. You want to try and play that? Or Soul Child, mm-hmm. which Gene and I wrote together. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and try that. I yeah. mean, you got to have some chops. And you know, Don't just tell me that we weren't that good. Screw you. Try yeah. to play that. And your vocal, <laughs> your vocal arrangements. Yeah. Are, yeah. You have, because you have different, it's like there's, um, I just want to ask, make sure uh, there's oh. that voice that you and Gene do. You do the same note, right? That's you and Gene, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. And then, and then, and sometimes a third voice will come, and you guys switch to mm-hmm. harmony. It's mm-hmm. so good. But know? dig it, dig it. This uh-huh. is what we were learning when we did the girl group songs and Motown and all that, baby, yeah. baby. Yeah. Baby, don't you leave me. Yeah. I mean, I'm just singing that by myself. But then yeah. the harmonies come in or stop in the name of love. All those songs have incredible vocal parts. And we pulled on all of that because we knew them. We yeah. didn't just sing them in our room. We right. played them live for audiences that went crazy. Yeah. Once they realized we could play, they forgot what, that we were girls. Honestly, everybody loved music and they loved the same music. If something mm-hmm. was a hit on Monday, we were playing it on Friday and Saturday. Right. That's right. And, Everyone, you know, so yeah. everybody all knew the same songs. It wasn't right, like yeah. a different world, soft this, hard that, punk this, you know, whatever. No, you didn't have the. In fact, uh, when we played, even all through Fanny, I never felt discrimination because people were so happy to be on the dance floor. I mean, happy, ecstatic. They wanted to forget all that. Vietnam War, you know. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna save that stuff for later, but I'll save it for later. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, because it's a, it's a whole different, um, it's a whole different, uh, I guess, side. Since you guys are immigrants, you know, so there's that immigrant experience yeah. that I also wanna, uh, uh, you know, get forth because I'm an immigrant as well, and there are a lot of Filipino musicians who were. Yeah. who were actually big and popular back in the Philippines, but they live here now yeah. and because of, you know, e- economic reasons and all of that, you know. Yeah. Um, right. So I actually, I actually started making a documentary about those musicians and the, and the immigrant feel to it, but the pandemic happened. So that's on the shelf, but anyway, Okay. Yeah. so, um, so, oh my gosh. So, so, so that, that, um, that arrangement of, in, uh, in that peculiar uh, was that from when you when you started playing it you put the slide guitar and all of that or is that later no, on? We, when we started playing it we were like what 16 or something when uh-huh. we recorded in that peculiar I was probably 22 23 oh, so okay. you know a lot a lot of um well two types of experience arranging okay 
We did not have the capacity to rearrange Ain't That Peculiar when we were playing it for dance audiences. Right. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay? So then I get to L.A. and I start hanging out with Lowell, who was a sly. I mean, if you listen to Bonnie Ray, that is Lowell's sound. And I introduced Bonnie to Lowell. So there's a huge okay. there, you know, and uh, and Skunk. I mean, these guys really showed me the shit, right? Oh, my so, God. Yeah, so by the time we're th- even thinking about Ain't That Peculiar, I was fooling around with Slider a lot. And I, uh-huh. I don't remember how we even thought of it because, you know, we played day and night. We just jammed, right? Yeah. And then whatever stuck, stuck. Yeah. So I'm sure I had the, I, I'm, 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 e- I'm sure I had the slide in my hand, but I'm also equally sure that I didn't say, oh my God, I have this great idea. Why don't I do this amazing lick at the top of Ain't That Peculiar? Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's not how it happened. I'm sure just we were just jamming. <laughs> just, just, yeah, it just happened. Yeah. Hit on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Skunk still freaks out about that. Oh, I mean, he just goes Dude. nuts. You know when he oh, talks man. about it. when I when I first when I first heard it when I first heard saw the video and you did the slide. The I'm like, oh shit. You know Who's what? This? It wasn't even that hard for me because I was working so hard and controlling tone and uh-huh. pitch. And everything. And even by the time I got to that, to performing that, let me tell you, I, and this is really the truth. To me, that was just another day at the office. Mm-hmm. That wasn't yeah. a special performance. Yeah. That was me just trying to do my level best to deliver yeah. our version of that song. Yeah, just how I happened to be slide. And you know what? We knew about Arrangeless because when I stopped with that intro, the band took over and I could just sing. Did you even notice that? All right, yeah. I'm just singing, and Nikki takes over that piano. I'm yeah. not playing, you know, because my my uh, my action had to be raised to do that slide part. Oh, okay. Oh, so you're not gonna play. You're not gonna play chords, right? Yeah. It wasn't yeah. that kind of a setup. I had a different guitar. Mm-hmm. I the action was raised. I had a different sound, and also, and this is something that you know I've mentioned it in. Quite a number of interviews, but I don't know if people really get this. Is I change my sound between every song. Yeah, you I do. didn't have pedals, so I would change the volume. I would change the settings. I, you know, you have you uh, have really you have really good tone. I mean, I mean, of course <laughs> now now that you you said that Lowell, Lowell George and 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 Skunk Baxter were your your uh, like your mentors or something. Were, yeah, no, no, they were my mentors. They were my best friends. Oh, best friends. You know, that's okay, a different yeah. level. I didn't look at up at them like oh, okay. oh my god would you teach me something like we we, <laughs> we ran into each other and then we fell in love with each other in that way so you and you we guys were you were influencing each other what's up you were influencing each other yeah i mean yes i i think i influenced lowell a lot less than he influenced me mm-hmm. to tell you the truth mm-hmm. and the same with jeff but we were yes because i think I think they took a lot of uh, not only pride, but they understood how I had to deal with courage in order to just step in front to do it. I mean, I was so scared. I didn't want to play lead. Believe you me. You know, that's a really close position. It's like you're on point. You know, you're I'm going to use a Vietnam analogy. You're mm-hmm. you've got a patrol and there's somebody on point who's could be I mean, very easily could be killed. Well, that was me. You know, yeah. everyone would 
point to me. And then after a while, when they kind of got used to me, they realized, oh my God, that bass player, she's beautiful. And I love what she's doing. Because mm-hmm. Jane is one of the best bass players in the world. Oh my God. Uh, you know, you so. know, you know, when I saw, when I'm doing my research and I see your still shots of your live shots, mm-hmm. like in the whiskey, yeah. you and your sister up front with your guitars and your hair and your clothes. Oh my mm-hmm. God. It's just rock stars. Yeah. Rock stars, like and 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 I I can see that it's real. You're really like that. Yeah. It's you have you guys have the rock and roll soul. Is what I call, you know what I think yeah, it, really, it is. It you really know? was all that, yeah. You know, and I'll tell you something else. Um, I probably would have not left the band. I mean, I can't say 100 percent sure, but I probably would not have left the band when I did if they had made us change our clothes. I mean, that really offended me. You know, I'm a person who doesn't want to be told what to do. And so they're like, well, you're not selling enough records. So we have to get you, you know, these designers and design these clothes. And of course, they showed more of our bodies. I mean, Jean didn't seem to mind so much because she's a clothes horse. But I resented it. I resented the fact that we didn't have our thing, you know, because when we went to L.A. and we got to wear basically what we wanted to wear, it worked. And um, they were basically fucking around with that, you know. Sorry mm. to use my a swear word, but okay. I, I really resented it. It was a wrong thing to do. You know, they were killing my spirit slowly. No, and yeah, what no, you hear yeah. when I'm playing guitar, you're hearing my spirit speak to you. Yep. You know, so. Yeah, I, I, I totally get it because, you know, I was signed to a record company too and we had this, when we were, we were recording our first album, we had a, a ballad that was getting popular a slow song not mm-hmm. even a ballad but a slow song mm-hmm. and the record company they wanted to make the whole album like that we were like what the he-? and you know i'm we play hard rock you know hard like uh um early like aussie stuff like that you know that mm-hmm. style so we, <laughs> we you know we're 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 we play uh, music like ozzy osbourne and you want us to uh mm-hmm. release our first album full of ballads are you kidding me? So I get it. You know, I get it, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, when they There's when a they, lot of weird stuff that goes on with you know. Yeah, uh, it's like when they they try to uh, figure out how can we make money of these guys, and then they try to do it, but it's all wrong. It's like you have to concentrate on the music, and if they're not, if the band is not producing good music, then you got to tell the band. It's like you got to step up. Your music's not good. If you don't step up, then you have to change your clothes. So it's either nobody you know, knows what the heck's happening. Nobody knows. Yeah, nobody knows. You know, did you have you ever read that? There was kind of a small book that Frank Zappa wrote. Mm. Uh, it was like a pamphlet, but it was like a you know a thick pamphlet slash book. Anyway, um, it's so funny. I mean, he is hysterical. By the way, he was a huge fan fan as well, and he and he, really. He, yeah, he looked up to me in his own way, you know. Oh Whenever God. I saw him anywhere in the world, he would come up to me first. And that showed me his respect because wow. guys didn't do that. They tried to ignore me. He never did that. He always wow. walked up to me. He said, hello. He let me into the rehearsals and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, so in this book, he says, you know, really? It was really not that much different when, like, guys chomping on guitars. I mean, sorry chomping on cigars, which is okay. basically, you know, he's talking about the mafia. I mean, pr- pretty much all clubs were owned by the mafia. I mean, I could tell. And they mm-hmm. loved us. Whiskey. All, all the clubs that we played since 64, 65, were basically 
owned by the mafia. So I knew that world very well. They never messed with us because they loved us. They could wow. tell that we weren't doing it and we were working really hard. You know, anyway, and Frank had a manager. Was I mean, they were <laughs> his manager and his lawyer. I knew all three of them. And, you know, he was. Oh, my God. You know, anyway, so he said. <laughs> There's really not that much difference between these cigar chomp, chomping guys behind a desk and somebody says, plays them a, you know, 45 or a demo and says, what do you think? And the guy says, well, I don't know. Why don't you put it out and see how, is it, how it does? Yeah. And those records did just as well as anything that you put focus groups on, you spend all this money on, you make a video, blah, blah, blah. And you know what? He's actually right when you think about it. And it is so true. Think about this song, okay? Think about these words. Mm. Imagine me and you. I do. I think about your day and night. It's only right. I mean, is that a hit? Well, nobody knows. Put nobody it out. Knows. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's what I'm talking about is that sense of I honestly don't know. But put it out. It's not going to cost that much. And let's see, you know, people are kind of, I feel like they're kind of, they become kind of stupid. Everything's been reduced on Instagram or whatever. Oh, yeah. See if it moves you. See if it moves you. That's the main, that's the goal, really. I mean, I, Happy Together is, it's a great song, but it's also, you know, invest a dime. If I would call you up, invest a dime. Nobody writes like that anymore. <laughs> Will that be a hit? I don't know. I don't Why know. don't you put it out and see? It's not the you best know, lyrics, I, I so truly, we don't know. <laughs> I truly believe in that. You know, because you, you can't force people to love a song or a record. Mm. You cannot. You can put a lot of money into it. You cannot force people to love a song. And I know my voice is rising, but I also know what I'm talking about. No, no, no. No, no. That's, that's <laughs> called, it's called passion. That's what it's called. What it's called. You know, no, that's just the, same, the way I'm, it is. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, yeah um, I totally get it. Um, it's, it's just... Well, well, like like I said, I, I go. I'm going back to the research that I did, and it just mm -hmm. feels like, like just like anything else that was female, because during that time it was also the female. Uh, I want to call this the, uh, the women's liberation movement was happening, the feminist movement. And so, mm -hmm. so when I look at Fanny, when I saw Fanny, it's like these these guys are part of all of that without them even mm -hmm. being vocal about it you know because well, I don't we think were really we were. surprised that we were a part of it because we didn't know uh, finally mm. we went well i guess we're feminists because we're doing what we want isn't that what feminism no yeah it was <laughs> just reduce itself to that yeah when i when i would hear the songs even even if you even when you i don't know if it this was uh um i don't know if it was uh you were conscious of this but ain't that peculiar it's a funny song because, especially if it was it, it, when it was sung, you sang that, right? Yeah. Was that mm -hmm. you and lead vocals? Okay. So it it's it sounds the 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 verses sound like uh like a desperate woman, you know. The, well, it's, it, it's it's a forlorn love song. Let's, no, let's I know, I know. But then, but but the know. funny thing about that song is that when the chorus comes in, it's like, ain't that peculiar? It's like so. There's mm -hmm. there's that doubt. So you're not completely submissive to whoever you're singing that love song to it's like you know it's it's freaking weird that you're treating me like 
crap and I'm still here with you. So, well, let's me, don't forget it wasn't the halftime there. You know, see, that's part of our arranging capability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because it's double time kind of Latin. Yeah. And then it gets to that ain't that peculiar that, yeah. you know, that slide guitar just wars out at you, but it's halftime. So you have a lot of room for for expressing, you know, all of a sudden it's aggressive. But I wouldn't say the woman thinks that she's won. I think she's just saying, hey, ain't that peculiar, but you got the room to express it. Mm-hmm. And that guitar just, that slide guitar just simply spoke to everyone yeah. then. And it's speaking to people even more now. And I'm, yeah. you know, maybe I'm amazed. I, it's really amazing. Yeah. Cause I was, now that I'm thinking, now that you told, now that you reveal that there are, projects coming up that will definitely put fan if i mean if it's marketed correctly it'll put you guys up there again and during oh, this i have time- a new record that will be coming out oh th- uh, well, there you go three months yeah of old material and new material and it's mm. gonna be super hot yeah because if 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 women because especially nowadays you know with the me too movement and 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 women mm. are really are on the forefront now. Everyone, you know, it's like don't mess with us now. It's like not yeah. anymore. We we we're past that. You can't mess with us anymore. That those days well, are gone. Unfortunately, <laughs> there's still a lot of messing around that goes. You know, a lot of yeah, Native uh, American women are disappearing from reservations because they're yes. being found frozen in the snow and all that kind of stuff. I'm yeah. super concerned about that. So, um, I'm concerned that boys and men are being taught the you know you shouldn't do that to women because. Women are not doing that. Oh yeah, to children and other women. Yeah, all men. Yeah. So uh, that's really horrible, and I and I don't forget that. So yes, things have changed, but when boy, we got we got a lot of work to do. Yeah, but but like but yeah, like what I'm thinking is if if uh, if Fanny comes to the surface again and people realize, especially women, especially young women or, or young girls who are musicians and they see you and they're like, who's that? Because the, I guess the if they were real rockers, if their parents were rockers, the the I guess the the, the farthest that they could go would be like uh, the Runaways, you know, the all-female mm-hmm. rock band. And mm-hmm. you were way before them. You were like five years before them or even more. Um, no, not that much. No, not that much. Uh, not that much. Maybe, but you were maybe but three, you, something like that. Yeah. But you were still ahead. I mean, three years. So that's a long time. Oh yeah, yeah. We were ahead <laughs> you know? of everybody. And yeah, that is that's all why. Spoken about in the film, you know, because the Runaways are in it. You know, mm. I mean, the, the Go Go's, Bonnie Raitt, Joe Elliott, Skunk. I mean, wow. all all the heavies whom we know. But a lot of the women didn't talk about us, unfortunately. I was waiting to hear somebody talk about us since 1975, let's say. Oh, you my know, Let's God. give it two years. Not oh one of them said anything about Fanny. And now they're all like, oh, yeah, Fanny, Fanny. And I, and I do kind of feel a rub about that. But, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. at least it's uh-huh. happening. Mm-hmm. No, and I think, it's, I, thi- I think it's the perfect time that it's happening. Uh, if it was, was going to happen, yeah, I, I think right now mm-hmm. is the perfect time. Because you're gonna have young By the girls way, looking at you guys. There's a festival in the Philippines. Let let us or me know about it, and I'll let the director of the movie know because it should oh, be shown in the Philippines. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh definitely. It's called yeah. Fanny: The Right to Rock. And oh, if it played yeah. in the Philippines, I would do my best to go there and you know play a few licks for everyone. <laughs> it would, it, yeah, it, everyone has to know. 
And especially yeah. now with all this, um, the Asian hate crimes and all of this bullshit. That's right. That's when right. they see you, when they see you, especially you, because because Jean is, you know, Mestiza, but you are mm -hmm. totally Filipino and Asian looking and people. Well, we're you know, exactly the same. We're, we're both Mestiza, <laughs> you know. No, yeah, but I mean, you, you, I mean, you look really Filipino. When I saw you, it's I like, do. yeah. When I saw yeah, Jean, it's like, yeah, that's a Mestiza Filipina. She's yeah, Filipino yeah, yeah. too, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. well, young, I look more Filipina now that you know I'm dealing. I'm having chemo treatments for for cancer, so I'm oh. actually the weird thing is I'm looking more like my mom as I go through these treatments. It's really oh. interesting. Mm -hmm. How you doing? No, don't worry about it. I'm gonna live. It's fine. It's okay. Okay. okay something good. I had to live through, but I've been. You, Uh, spoken to by my ancestors and they've assured me, you know, okay. I'm going to live. So that's not okay. a problem. That's why I can say, you know what, let's get this film to the Philippines and I'll, I'll come and, you know, I'll oh, attend and I'll play, you, I'll play some for you guys, etc. You know, it'll be yeah. so much fun. Yeah. So like I said, it's like when, if a young girl is who, who especially is like, I want to play guitar and then they see uh -huh. you, it's like, Wow, look at her. Yeah, man. You know? Yeah, man, totally. <laughs> you know? And, and I'm even... hoping that for the musical and for the, the movie, like either a movie or TV series, that they will hold auditions for girls around the world to audition for, you know, for us. <laughs> so I yeah. would like to see who, who ends up playing, you know, guitar for yeah. G. And I'd be happy to help, you know, because I'd be happy to... I hate it when I see people playing guitar and they're like playing the, the wrong licks. I was like, dude, or, you know, gal, whoever you are. What? Uh, what? What are you doing? <laughs> uh, you're cool, man. Cause yeah. Cause you, you, you give it, you pardon my French, but you give a shit. That's why you're like that. You still care. The fact is I know what I'm doing and I'm pretty strict. You know, I hate it when people just kind of try to lie their way through it. Don't uh -huh. do that. Yeah. You know, take it. Do what I did and work every day from the second you wake up. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I did. From the second I woke up, I was working. I kid you not, for a year. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. So let's go. So what was what was the, um, the beginnings of playing live as Fanny? I mean, when it's like... Uh, it was the the Sunset Strip and all of that and Troubadour. Mm -hmm. Did you did you did you go straight? Let's let's like let's play already. Let's not. Well, we did a lot of uh, club gigs in the Bay Area before we hit the road. Oh, okay. Uh, partly because we were developing our uh, material, but partly because we were developing our sound. Uh -huh. You know, so uh, they gave us the Warner Brother A Warner Brother Sound Stage to rehearse in, which is huge. You know what a soundstage is at the movie lot at Warner mm. Brothers movie lot. Yeah. So these are huge sound stages, and wow. uh, when you rehearse in a place like that for two or three months, you learn to control your sound because sound—it's like playing at a coliseum or a big stage. You know, the sound yeah. will get eaten up; it will just disappear. So we learn how to control our sound, and I would say the first big gig we did was a Santa Monica. Civic Auditorium opening, uh -huh. uh, yeah, opening for the Kinks. Oh my God! So there's not a band that we didn't play with back then, except for the Beatles and the Who, but everybody see, that, else. See, that's the, that's the reason why they have to put um, that movie out or that play or whatever, so that people. Oh yeah, it's know. coming out real soon. It's coming yeah, out yeah, real yeah. soon. Yeah. Because it, the story, the stories that I'm hearing right now are just like it's 
amazing mm-hmm. what you've accomplished. And it has yeah, to be. I mean, be... listen, even a band like Red, uh, it was a Red White. Come and get your love. Mm-hmm. Come and get your, what was the name of that? Redbone, Redbone, the Native okay. American band, right? Oh, so yeah, that's really right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. yeah they yeah, were yeah. really good friends of ours. Like, I mean, now when I say, don't you know, come and get your love, and some people know some kind of, that was a huge hit and was so good. And yeah. I remember when, uh, what was his name, the tall guy with the kind of mustache, he ran up to the dressing room at the whiskey, and people couldn't get in, but he could get in. And he you know, <laughs> ran up to me, sat down, he said, June, we just recorded a hit. And I'm like, really, you did? And I believed him totally, and it was a hit. You know? Wow, and he was talking yeah. about that song. Oh yeah, yeah, oh and that God. is a groove tune. Not only is the vocal great, but that's a groove. That you song, know? that song is so popular in the Philippines. You know? Oh my God! <laughs> yeah. Well, what about Story? Uh, do you know that group, Story? Story, no. Okay, so they had maybe, this maybe the song, was... but I don't know the name of the band. No, that's that's the band. So. um it was Steve Love on guitar, and, and we did gigs with him in, in, in Europe. And um, uh, what was the name of that song? It's basically when he did the lead, a whole string section doubled him. Oh, And that was what impressed me so much about that solo. When I finally got to meet him, I was just thrilled, and we, we became really good friends. Um, Louie, 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 Louie. Yeah. Louie, Louie, Louie. You know, do you know that song? Yeah, yeah. Gang, gang, gang. Gang, gang, gang. You're, you you're talking about well, Stephen Love of Love, right? The band Love. Uh, that... No, I'm talking about the band uh, Story. No, no, no. You said who? Who? You said Love, someone named Love? Steve Love was the lead guitar player. Oh, okay. Okay. He was incredible. So, I mean, a lot of people may not know the name Steve Love. But he was a huge influence on me. You know, so mm. there are a lot of bands that we knew whom we played with, like Story, like Red Boat, like the 100th and uh, what was it, 103rd Street Band, uh, like the band that did uh, uh, that cowbell part, you know, uh, Time Back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. The Something Brothers. Right. Like something, yeah. Sly and the Family Stone, you know, oh. who we did a gig with before we even went to LA. And he, <sighs> Sly would come and hang out in the studio with us. So, you know, there are, um, and I, all, a lot of these stories are in the book because they're so emblematic of how I learned, not just learned, but how I understood the center of a song and understood the funk. Because mm. you got to leave room, but you also need. <laughs> to play yeah and uh, making those kinds of choices while you're learning can seem kind of you know like hardcore but once you get it you know what to do and that's what i do now when i write you know like when i say i have a new album coming out it's old stuff that i never released before but it's also new material that i actually uh, recorded here with uh lee madaloni who was earl slick's son do you know who earl slick is yeah Okay, so he's here right now. He's he's Lee's dad, and he's Gene's ex-husband. So he oh, played guitar oh, yeah, with okay. me on, on three of the songs, you know, and they're killer, killer. I can't wait, you know. But oh. I'm in, I'm in in my uh, treatment right now, so yeah, they won't be finished for like three months. But when they are, it'll be an incredible. Hey, sisters and brothers, I have a new sponsor, my friends Gary and Mary Lou. 
from alkalinewatersogood.com. They are international Kangen water distributors. Kangen water is delicious water created from Enagic's innovative water technology. Enagic is a 56-year-old Japanese company with 40 offices in 23 countries, including an office in Manila and eight offices in the U.S., and it is the leading manufacturer of alkaline ionizers and water filtration machines in the world. Not only do these devices filter your tap water, but they also produce ionized alkaline and acidic waters through electrolysis. These waters can be used for various purposes, including drinking, cooking, beauty, and cleaning. Can you imagine never buying bottled water again? The plastic and bottled water often contains BPA and other chemicals, which are proven to be hazardous to your health. And how much fun is it lugging cases of it from the market, recycling it, and you know, plastic is an environmental nightmare. According to Gary, it's also a great way to add an additional income stream. He's been selling machines for over 12 years internationally, and everyone needs the healthiest water in the world. So folks, if you have any questions about Kangen Water, check out their website at alkalinewatersogood.com. That's alkalinewatersogood.com. Or you can email them at gary at garyballin.com. Yeah, <laughs> because... All this stuff is coming out, and I've got all this new material, and I'm, I just got to get through my, you know, my treatments and blah, blah, blah. So it's all going to come together by the summer. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's going to be great. I'm talking about May, June. Yeah. That's my summer. Yeah. Not yeah. too long from now. So I wanted to... Um... So let's go to that 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 uh, political side of of things, the the mm-hmm. feminist. But um, there was a song on the first album, "Conversations with a Cop." Conversation with a conversation cop. with a cop. I'm like, <gasps> that's Nikki's song. Who's mm-hmm. Nikki, the keyboard player? The keyboard player. Oh, is she singing that one? Let me think about it. Yes, or I believe it- so. Okay. Yeah, I believe that's her singing. Mm-hmm. Because when I like, when I saw when I saw the title "Conversations mm-hmm. with a Cop," I'm like, "Whoa!" That's no conversation. Kinda... Conversation. Single. I'm sorry. Conversation. Con- yeah, yeah, yeah. Conversation with a cop. Uh-huh. It's like, wow, that's pretty. Uh, that's not like the other titles, you know. It's it was a little it's more serious. Day. Oh and yeah. And then, and then when the lyrics, when she was singing, singing the lyrics, I'm like, "Whoa, this is." Uh-huh. A, this is a dark song. What's this about? I mean, mm-hmm. and then, and then they go, you know what? This song is so timely with what's happening now. That's right. With, with all the, the, the police brutality and all that. I'm mean, like, I was listening to the song. I'm like, whoa, this is heavy. This is mm-hmm. heavy. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, um, I'm, it's like, I'm just trying to walk my dog. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like, whoa, it's like, a, was that a personal experience from her? Um, I mean, I never really had conversations with her about her lyrics or what her songs were about, but I certainly got the feeling that it was real for her. Well, you know, Nikki was kind of paranoid. So I knew that for Mm. her it was real in whatever way it happened for her. And I knew that she walked her dog every night. So I knew that for her, it was a tangible experience. Right. And it was so tangible for her that it became real for us. And we created a track. I mean, 
you know, I worked really hard on the guitar parts on that song. And partly my part was um, informed by the Flying Burrito Brothers because I was a really good friend of their uh, uh, pedal steel player. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, God. Oh, my God. His name is just escaping me. It'll, it'll probably come. So a lot of my guitar parts, which I poured myself into that, is like, well, Sneaky Pete. It was a really good friend of mine. So mm. when Sneaky Pete was playing on Flying Burrito Brothers and you name it, so many hits, yeah. uh, I was informed by that. And I worked really hard. On, and I know Gene worked harder, so hard on our bass part. We didn't think of it as, oh, we're working so hard. We would pour ourselves totally into every jam even. Every mm. jam, every song we wrote, every song we, you know, recorded. We worked so hard, you know, and that's a really important distinction, you know, to make. It was 24-7, really. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I saw those pictures of you guys at rehearsals and stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you look you look like you're just having fun, just jamming, you know. You know, we were just kids. We were yeah. just kids. But we were so determined, you know. Yeah. And that's what you got to have. you got to have that determination. But anyway, like going back to that song. I mean, if 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 Black Lives Matter people heard that song, they'd be like, "Oh my God, that's us!" <laughs> you well, know, I or hope who, they hear or, it. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. whoever has mm-hmm. that has ever had experience of being harassed by the cops. I mean, I've been harassed yeah. by the cops. You know, back in yep. the Philippines, the cops in the Philippines are the worst. Shit. Oh, you know. Wow, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, they're not. They're not. Yeah, yeah. They they don't they don't uh, put their mm-hmm. knees on your neck. They just shoot you right away, and then. Yeah, 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 right. You know, right. it's stuff. It's like that, you know. So yeah, I get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can. So right away, I could relate to that song. I'm like, wow, mm, you know. And <laughs> so you got, and, and and it's like that. You have all these songs, and that are sung by women. So it's a female voice. So it's, it gives a totally different um, feel to it when it's a woman yeah. singing it. Yeah, because, that's right. You know, because if it was a guy singing conversation with a cop, then you'd be like, "Well, okay, that happens," you know. But if it's a woman, well, there singing, wouldn't also be the there wouldn't be the lightness of a woman's delivery in her voice, you know. Right, so, mm. it's a whole other bag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it would, it would, yeah, because it was like you could feel, I could feel like the fear in that. Uh, mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. song, it's like, whoa, man, this is yeah. not cool, man. Whatever the, <laughs> you know, whatever the cop did to her, if this was real, it's not cool because yeah. you know you can feel it, you know. Uh, yeah. So how? So you? Um, what was the journey of Fanny through the recording uh, of the albums? The, you well, had we had to learn how to record. Simply that we had to learn how to record, and so. Our producer, Richard Perry, would mm-hmm. take us into studio after studio to cut demos, especially while we're looking for our new fourth member. So we did that maybe for, I don't know, you know, like eight months, maybe a year or so. Um, and that was a really important part of um, Fanny, that we managed to take the time to learn how to record. And that's a, that's really important. So this was before you, you walk into a studio and do that, you know, do those uh, harmonies or those vocals and have them blend and the arrangements and all that. That was all worked out. Did you guys? Did you guys? Um, 
work out those the I mean when I say you guys just the members the producer wasn't really do you guys have an idea okay let's do our vocals like oh, this yeah, I mean he was he was involved you know but yeah. I, you know, it's hard to know because you know he was working on his own career in, in terms of, of a producer I mean you do know that we back Barbara Streisand on two yeah. songs right right okay yeah, yeah I mean the band Fanny backed Barbara Streisand on two songs live okay so Previous to that, we had to learn. <laughs> it wasn't because we wanted to play with Barbara Streisand. It was because we were so interested in yeah. the process, you know. So um, by the time we got to playing with her, uh, we knew what to do. But Richard was working on getting his deal together with her, together with her, while we were working on Charity Ball. So mm. in the book, I describe how we were recording "Thinking of You." And he took a phone call. I was just about to do my solo and he made me wait like 20 minutes. And I just went, I went out of my mind. I went insane because I'm ready to do the solo. I'm like, Richard, you know, he's like, we on the phone with Barbara Streisand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we ended up playing on the album. So I guess it all worked out. Wow. So, so, um, so this is, this is all before getting signed. You did demos before getting no, signed. No, 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 oh, you're no, no. Oh no! How would they pay for those demos unless they knew that they oh. had our royalties? Oh, okay. So okay, no, I get it. We signed. We signed the yeah. contract like May '69, and we started uh-huh. in on demos like you know probably the day after. <laughs> wow! See, that's the thing. That's the thing that people, uh, especially the younger generations, they don't understand that concept anymore. That record companies used to actually develop the artist, you mm-hmm. know. They, they they put the money to develop an artist that they saw potential in. Mm-hmm. Of course, they mm-hmm. don't do that anymore, especially now. So that, that concept is so uh, alien to a lot of people, um, you mm-hmm. know, uh, younger people, you know, because like, what? You made, it's like, no, I just didn't, I, you know, I just said, it's like, oh, you were signed and they, they paid for the demos too. It's like, oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> they don't do that anymore. It happens in a certain sequence, especially yeah. back in the day. So we signed, and the minute we started to do our demos, and when we were doing demos in studios that were still being built, for example, Crystal, which when it was finished, Stevie Wonder booked that studio for a year, okay? So we were working in a lot of really good studios uh, in L.A., and because we were working in some cases in studios that weren't even finished yet, we really learned how to manage being in a studio recording space. Like you walk up to a mic and you have to hear certain things in your headphones if the track's already recorded, for example. Or if it isn't, then there was only one headphone mix so we would fight over the mix. Mm-hmm. Seriously, mm-hmm. you know. Or let's say we were singing backups and the lead vocal was already sung. Now we had to learn how to blend three vocals to have a certain effect. And we had to, in fact, we had to um, create characters that were imbued with the sound that we were putting into the microphone. And we just, we didn't just walk up to the mic and, you know, sing parts. Mm. We had to deliver, we had mm-hmm. to deliver certain things. And, and speaking of, um, you know, speaking of, the, uh, you're, you're actually basically talking about artist development. So Fanny, Ry Cooter, and Randy Newman were all signed to a reprise. And all of us, I know for a fact, because we kept running into 
each other at studios, we all mm. recorded our first album twice mm. because it was new sound. I mean, Ray Cooter was completely new, you know? Yeah. What a great, what a great guy and what a great yeah, yeah, yeah. artist. You know, he, we still have a lot of respect for each other. I mean, if we see each other down the block, you know, it's like, oh, my God, hi, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so incredible. So we sort of hit that little notch of time when you could still do that. Yeah, that was like like it's amazing when you think about it. Yeah, it is. Because yeah. Because even even with myself, um they were still doing that in the in the in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um that okay, we'll pay for the demo and we'll see how it sounds, you know, if you know, if, mm-hmm. if you know all the all the things that you do. And I think that whole thing is excruciating. I just I think it's unfair to the artist, you know, but uh-huh. put you through all those changes. But yeah, yeah, that's how they develop a system. Yeah, yeah, and um, how was it? So the third album was the one that got recorded in England, right? It was yep. uh, Fanny Hill. Fanny how Hill. did that? Ha- how did that happen? I mean, because th- this is your graduate. I mean, I mean, you're already recording in in england i mean wow well derek taylor was our publicity guy in la he he moved from london to la for about a year and our management grabbed him and do you know derek taylor is no i don't oh i should look him up he's like the fourth beetle you know fifth Beatle. sorry okay he was their publicity guy when they were starting out oh okay And so he knew them really well, and our management knew, you know, I mean, there was a lot of kind of the, you know, um, back-slapping kind of deal. They knew us, and they loved us. And I'm sure Derek had a a big part in getting us to Apple because, you know, once we were there, Mm -hmm. well, I mean, two things. By that time, um, Nelson Schmelson was a massive hit. So are you familiar with that album? No. Really? Yeah, no, coconut, Harry Nelson, really? Oh, put oh, put the lime in the coconut. That you know that, yeah, the song. Do you know Harry? Do you know of Harry Nelson? Oh, Harry Nelson, yeah, I know the name, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it was yeah. like massive. Well, Richard okay. produced that album. Okay. Oh well, wow. We knew him in LA, and so he, for some reason, he was in England when we were recording. Fanny Hill, so he dropped by every day. So Harry Nelson was really a huge fan also um, of Fanny. In fact, the first day we got there, Harry was there. We went upstairs and we met Ringo and George together, you know, and then we would go to um, Derek Taylor's house and there were, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> for Sunday dinner and there would be Ringo and George, you know. Oh my so God. We were pretty connected in that way. And then we met, see, they were fighting then. So we met. Paul at Air Studios, which was the studio that um, uh, at the time uh, George Martin, the producer, had just built. So they were recording. Uh, now listen to this. They were recording Carly Simon at Air. Okay. <laughs> so dig what was happening. We're uh-huh. all sitting at the Portobello Hotel, Fanny and Carly Simon, and Mick Jagger's dropping by all the time. And <laughs> Uh, Carly Simon is recording an air and Richard would always play me the basics, you know, cause he'd really trusted my opinion. So when, when I heard the basic of, uh, he played me, you know, like a whole album of basic, but when I heard the basic of you're so vain, I said, Richard, mm. 
this is your hit. And, you know, I was right. Oh, but so, wait, she, so, so wait, there. she was recording, you know, excuse what? me, she was recording tapestry. No, that's that's oh. not that's not Carly oh. Simon. That's not Carly Simon. Tapestry is uh, Carol King. Oh, Carol King. I'm sorry. So that was a I'm hit. Sorry. Before yeah, that yeah, was I a get... hit. Before yeah. yeah. So yeah. Carly Simon, you're so vain. Okay. So. You're so vain. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sh- sh- she recorded so that vain. song. Right. You yeah. know, and Nick was on that, and he'd be hanging out with us. You know, the whole thing. So it was kind of like a scene going on. You know, they loved having the chicks around, and we met Paul and Linda over at Apple. I mean, excuse me. Not Apple at Air. They they couldn't be together because they were fighting, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. So um, so we actually met like pretty much everyone except I didn't meet um, I didn't meet John Lennon until Imagine because the aforementioned Earl Slick, uh-huh. Lee's dad and Gene's ex-husband, who's here right now, he played uh-huh. on Imagine, and oh I was God. I happened to be in New York doing something and I got this call. <laughs> At a club, you know, June Millington to the Redfall, you know, whatever. And it was slick. And he said, you know, I'm in a restaurant with John and Yoko on the band and John wants to meet you. I'm like, okay. Okay. So that's how I met John. He was kind of, you know, he was intrigued by me. He was kind of a fan, you know. I walked into Mr. Chow's and he was at the end of this, you know, huge table of people. And he stood up and he mimicked playing guitar and, you know. And I put kind of put my uh, thumb up, yeah. And he went, put his oh thumb up, yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, so I was able to hang out in the studio and, and watch him uh, do his, you know, them do their album as well. So, you know, I mean, I really got to see a lot of how music was made and how the business worked. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. Um, there's a lot of power uh, lever levers of power that are pulled, but you know, Slick played with both David Bowie. And John Lennon. So there's a lot of, you know, there's Man. a lot of stuff. In fact, we were just talking about Bowie tonight. And he came dropped by the house and we were, you know, talking about the people he's played with and how much money they made and all this kind of stuff. But it basically uh-huh. boils down to who do you like to play with? Yeah. It's not just the money. You know, yeah. So I could ask him questions like, you know, that lick on I'm losing you. <laughs> I'm losing you. Yeah, uh-huh. He said, no, it was John. It was in his uh, rhythm guitar part and his acoustic guitar part. So that's really neat to know, you know? Oh, <laughs> it's so, it's, it's blowing my mind. Yeah. Uh, John Lennon's here. He wants to meet you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he wants to meet you. That's John Lennon wants and, and to meet you in Wellington. <laughs> My God, now that's that that alone is already hashtag Pinoy Pride. Come All on. right, there you go. Let's do, let's do it. You know, you know what? No, you know why? Uh, and the th- another thing, I forgot to mention this. Um, the Philippines, we're so uh, we're so influenced by America. You know yeah, that. That's yeah. that's just given. That's right. Uh-huh. So the 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 one of the. Um, uh, not dreams, but goals of any Filipino musician is to mm-hmm. is to make it in the states. Mm-hmm. It's always been like that, um, uh, especially in the eighties, the nineties, the two thousands. It's it's that's the thing. Well, of course, with any other band from any other country, if you make it in the states, you make it. So mm-hmm. it's same in the Philippines, mm-hmm. and it's always something that. 
it's not it there was this band in the 80s called Rage they were going to go here and do the thing but their singer was a a, a a girl and she got pregnant so you know how that goes they they didn't get their chance in the 90s we tried to do it and then when we tried to do it 911 happened psh, kaput no more plans But now when I discovered Fanny, I'm like, why are we still trying to do it when Fanny did it already? <laughs> well, already I ask you, you know? yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, yeah. it's there already. They did it. They're from the Philippines. They grew up in yeah. Manila. They went to the States and they they worked hard. They played their instruments really well. They played good songs, made great albums. They made it. Yeah. It's Fanny. Fanny is yeah. the, the Filipino band that made it, you know? <laughs> yeah. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah, so yeah, hashtag Pinoy Pride. You know, that's the one. Hey, that's what I'm talking it, about. Do it. I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. start doing Pinoy yeah. Pride. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the more and the more people know about it, because there's, I mean, the Philippines is it's there's just two kinds of music. It's either you listen to rock and roll or you don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's well, you rock know, and roll. I, I have a piece of advice to any Filipino band who would like to try to make it in the U.S. Would you mm, like to hear? Yes, it? yes, go. Okay, please. so derivative. Don't be so derivative. They all sound like a remake of a hit that was already. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I find that also with European bands, you know, young bands. It's like, why are you doing that? Develop your thing. See, I mean, for me, I learned that lesson when I decided to stop trying to learn every lick that Eric Clapton or whoever else, you know, played. I right. dropped all So drop it and find your sign, find your voice, find your song. Mm-hmm. And if that song speaks to people, they will not be able to say no to it. It's yeah. just that simple. Reach into your heart, into their hearts, and it probably will happen to you. But bands aren't doing that. They're mm-hmm. so scared, you know? Yeah, they are scared, yeah. Find your voice. Find your song. Find your backup vocals. You know? Yeah. It's really important. I, I mean, get off that derivative thing, and I know that's really hard to do, but if, as soon as I hear something, and it's like, you mm-hmm. know, I already yeah. heard that. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's basically what I'm saying in my body. I may not even be thinking that right away, but yeah. in my body, I'm thinking, huh, that's nothing new. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So, so for example, let's talk about a song like, let's give him something to talk about. Mm. Let's give him something to talk about. And now she's got that sl- that uh, slide guitar. Well, yeah. I mean, that's already different. That's already different. Yeah, yeah. You know? it, it, so especially, that, you know? especially the time that that song came out. Because no well, one was playing slide. No one was playing slide guitar <laughs> during that time. Yeah. I think you're wrong about that. Not okay. about, I think you're wrong about the time. I think the song is so good. Or um, um, what is that other song that Bonnie had that was she didn't write? Um, and it was a ballad. I can't mm. help but love you. Or I can't. Oh, what song was that? I don't well, know. If, I, if I could find the melody, you'd know right away. Oh, yeah, that's a hit. Then uh-huh. it would be a hit now. You know? No, what I mean is her slide playing. I mean, no one, no one at that time when that song came out, slide playing on a mainstream song. But she did it, and you know, it fit. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I will say that Bonnie's electric slide sound is Lowell's. 
is Lois. You know? Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, I mean, we have the same sound. Right. Huh. Yeah. It's her. It's her acoustic play. But I, I, I get what you're saying. Of mm. course, I, I wouldn't want to take that away from her. But you know, if you listen to all of Bonnie's lead uh, slide parts, mm-hmm. they're all basically the same. They're from the blues. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. what Slick does too. Yeah. You know, she, she and she wants to create something really good, and she does. You know, she's she's no slouch. Trust me. Oh, no, yeah. I've been to rehearsals. I've been to recording sessions. You know, she's serious about what she does. Mm-hmm. But essentially, she doesn't play very much because she doesn't actually know how. She's like me. I just oh, okay. had to pare. I had to pare everything down to like right. a certain sound. And you know, I don't think I play that many notes, quite frankly. Uh-huh. You know, but I play them with a certain bite. And a certain conviction, and that's what Bonnie does. She doesn't actually play that much slide in her songs. She yeah. mostly sings. She's got the voice of John Raitt, who was her dad. He was incredible. Oh, mm-hmm. it's so it's so it's just weird to me that you're talking about these people as contemporaries because they are your contemporaries. They are your contemporaries. Your, yeah, because they are. You know, it's like freaking me out. It's like, oh my god. You know, well, you it's know, like it's like Lowell podcast. George and Bonnie Raitt and June Millington are yeah. friends who taught yeah. each. You know, you know. I do uh, want to mention though, I, I did start a podcast where I'm interviewing friends of mine who mm. uh, I think are really, really great. You know, and I did interview um, Skunk, and I, I, I mean, I can send you the link, but if you just want to, you know, June Millington, Skunk Baxter talking, and I, yeah. Um, so I asked them about. And, you know, in all the years that we've known each other and adored each other, I never asked them this question. Mm. Um, did you think about the solo in Ricky Don't Lose That Number before you did it? And his answer was like one word, yes. And I said, <laughs> how much did you think about it? He said, you know, and he was really serious because he, he knows me. You know, he said, I thought about it a lot. I said, like, how long? And he's like, about, about a month. Wow. So he had a way to get in and he had a way to get out. Yeah. Okay? I mean, to me, that solo is one of one of the best solos ever created. I mean, yeah. is there anybody else who can play that? Maybe. I don't know. I've never met him. Yeah. Uh, you'd have to be incredible to play that guitar solo. You'd yeah. have to understand his thought process and then you'd have to deliver. Yeah. <laughs> you know? He was very, he was very um, serious with me. So I thought about it. A long time now for him to admit that you know quite candidly i think that's a big deal mm-hmm. but that's the type of um uh you know seriousness and what you put into something that creates art and that's what we were doing you know we yeah. don't lose that number is a total complete work of art i think from the top you mm-hmm. know from the yeah. words and the the piano licks and everything. I mean, I, I knew him and I was still blown away. And I My never gosh. asked him that question. I was too shy. But <laughs> it was the right time to ask him, you know. So I'll send you the link. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, so wait. So, okay. I got a fan out. I mean, how were the Beatles like? <laughs> well, like I said, they were fighting at the time. Okay. So, no, I mean, when, when you met. Oh, I mean, or oh, let's let's just uh, uh, focus on John. I mean, who wanted to meet you? <laughs> what was well, that like? I mean, he he just loved having me around. I would 
go into the control room and Gene said, I can't believe how much John just talked to you. He doesn't talk to me that much, you know. Oh, my um, God. He was just so real. And he wasn't, you know, he didn't need to be John. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. He didn't need to be John Lennon. He just was who he was. And I'll, yeah. I'll give you an example. Like one time uh, we're sitting in the studio and he just got hung up talking to me, right? So the band was practicing what I later understood was the song uh, Watching the Wheels Go Round and Round. And uh, it sounded unbelievably almost what I, there's a phrase I use in the studio play, it's stupid simple. So they were playing it stupid simple, the song, the way it was, you know, the way it deserved to be played. So he and I chatting, chatting for about six minutes or something. So they're on the second or third take of running it. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden he just turns to, to face them through the glass and he pushes down the talk back button. And this is um, exactly what he said. I know you can play, but play the song. Click and turn around and start to talk. Man, believe me, they just locked in because they knew what he was saying. It was just a little bit of showing off, but he didn't want to hear that. Yeah. (laughs) Just played the song. (laughs) And he didn't say the song. He said it that Liverpool song. Play the song. The song. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know you can play. Play the song, and wow. it was. Um, oh, the reason I loved it is that's the way I feel about it. You mm. know, play the song, and that's why yeah. I say, find the song, play the song, and move people. Because he wrote so simply. You know, uh, I was doing live streams once a week, all pretty much all last year through the pandemic, and we did. I'm losing you. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the live streams was slick. You know, playing his guitar part. Yeah. And he told me how that whole solo was created. It's really an incredible story. I don't know, you know if he's ever told anybody else. But anyway, it's an incredible story. Uh-huh. But essentially, you know, uh, when I got into the lyrics of the song and the arrangement, I realized, you know, they're so simple, really. It's, it's how they, I still love I Want to Hold Your Hand. I love that arrangement. I was just thinking of it this morning, you know? And then it just goes, but that's a clever arrangement. Yeah. And so John had that all his life. And I just pass that along to anybody who wants to um, go to the heart of the matter. Find it. Find your heart. That's what John did. He was scared to death. He was scared to death of doing that album because he, he felt like he was, um, he'd become, you know, superfluous or not important or whatever. Oh, really? And when they started that album, believe me, it was top secret. Nobody knew they were recording. Nobody wow. knew they were it was totally top. Nobody knew where they were staying or recording, blah, blah, Damn. and so forth. So, because he was frightened. He didn't want anybody to hear it ahead of time. Wow. Yeah. So he felt, so he felt he was fading away at that time. Time. Well, he, what's the word? It's not fading away, but he, he just got irrelevant. He, he felt mm. that maybe he was already had become irrelevant. But oh, the okay. fact is, he was not because he was writing those simple songs that had yeah. that place that found you. See, these songs have to find you. Yeah. They go right into your heart. And then the second you hear, you know, a uh, woman or, you know, Watching the wheels go around, around, all the songs on that album that are his. I mean, I know he wrote songs of Yoko as well, but yeah, I mean, his are my favorite. 
he knew how to get to the, you know, to get to the yeah. center of it all, just deliver. And that is the secret, people. If you can do that, you yeah. can be a star. Yeah. You can be a star. I think I, I I I think the same way about music, about um, musicians or even artists, creative people. It's like my thing. Uh, this is kind of deep, so just humor me. <laughs> when the like when the Big Bang happened, boom, everything was there with regards to anything artistic that comes out of a human being was already there. So let's say. Uh, Stairway to Heaven, it's there already. It's, it exists already, but it had to take, um, you know, Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, Bonham, and John Paul Jones, the four of them who were total strangers, to bring out those songs that they 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 brought out. And same thing with any artist. Like it, it had to be the Millington sisters and the two other, uh, you know, members of of Fanny, to to bring out this music. You know, okay. it had to be a combination. If if one of those people weren't there, it wouldn't have come out. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's like it's it's already you. Uh, it's like what I tell younger musicians. You said you just be open and and wait for that thing to come. And then when it comes and you feel it, that's it. That's your sound. You know, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you're the antenna. This this these energies, these songs, these works of art, they're already up there in the atmosphere or whatever. And they're just waiting for uh, a human being to receive that that frequency and turn it into reality. That's how I that's how I think art is made, you know. Um, and yeah, I, I totally get it. He was probably so scared, but he had that feeling. It's like I have this song, but I don't think people might like it. But I gotta do it. So it, yeah, I totally get it. Plus, he had the money to assemble a great band. You know, I mean, yes, there's so many components that, uh, you know, that go into all of that. Well, so what, uh, so how did you, from your, the early 70s and then going into the mid and then, and then music was changing, how, how did you see it? I mean, how, how did it feel? I mean, I'm, I'm uh, asking this. I always ask this with people who are from th- that generation because I, I didn't experience it. I was too young to even know all this music what existed. Were what year were you born? Uh, 71. Oh, okay. Well, um, I can tell you that I've always kind of followed my own drum. Mm-hmm. So what I did when I left Fanny in 73 was uh, I moved to Peconic, Long Island, to a summer home in the winter because I didn't mm-hmm. have much money. I listened to a lot of Stevie Wonder, and I took a sabbatical. Okay. Um, and then I started studying um, Buddhism. Mm. And uh, Elliot Randall was a friend of mine from back in the day from Fanny, and he lived in New York. Do you know who Elliot Randall is? It sounds familiar, the name. Oh, my God. He played the, the solo on Reeling in the Years. Oh. So oh, they were, my God. We played with, you know, we played with him at the whiskey. Anyway, he was a good friend of mine. Yeah. And through him, I eventually ended up uh, moving to Woodstock, New York, to play with Tim Moore in his band. So this is like a oh. two-year span, okay? I was learning Buddhism. I was taking my sabbatical, and I was actually – 
doing that which I didn't know I was looking for, but I was searching to be an authentic human being. And I and I started down that path. Mm-hmm. I uh, read Shunyo Suzuki's Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. That was a, I mean, I had read Buddhist stuff before that, but that was the first one that really, you know, I was bowing to the trees and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So by 75, it just so happened that Jean was visiting me in Woodstock. Uh-huh. And it was winter and it was a huge storm. Was, this is really weird. And nobody could go anywhere. We're sitting at the kitchen table and the phone rings. And it's uh, a call from L.A. She talks to him for a minute. Then she puts down the phone. And she says, you know what? Because I had just said to her, you know, is Fanny finally over? Which is, yeah, we we did this, the, you know, it was a Casablanca album, and, and we finally have really broken up. And then the uh-huh. phone rings. Yeah. Kind of weird, you know? Yeah. And they say to her, you know what? You have a hit. Even though Fanny isn't together anymore, you have a hit. You have to come back to L.A. so we can make some money. Okay. She goes to L.A. About a week later, she calls me. She says, June, you know, really? I want you to play guitar on this tour. Mm. So that's how I ended up playing guitar on what I call Fanny Point one okay that was the casablanca album with butter boy but i played the tour because she wanted me to play it okay so i went and that's how i ended up being in la uh and through you know through various circumstances um i ended up playing on chris williamson's changer and the change i'm sure you don't know anything about her in this album but that was the beginning of women's music which was a seismic shift for the world women's music shift so i played on two songs on changer and the change and then uh i went on her first uh tour there were only three of us in 1976 i think we Mm -hmm. left in february or march and i'm telling you that changed my life that's when i realized oh i I really did do the right thing even though it was really hard to leave uh the band that was what i was heading for i mean gene and i and the other girls and Fanny Point One on that tour actually tried to get a record deal. And at the last second, me and Gene are Beverly Hills at the, you know, mm. lawyer's office. And mm. the guys from Dick James Music look at me and say, well, we had just one thing we want. I mean, our, me and Gene's pens were po- poised over the place. No, we just have one thing we want you to do. We want you to call yourselves Fanny. And I just stopped and I said, what? So since then, you know, I knew I could never be in another band called Fanny. That's why the last album was called Fanny Walked the Earth. And that was in a conversation we had, you know, I said, yeah, I'll do an album, but it can't be called Fanny. And I was Uh, talking about, you know, it's so important that Fanny walked the earth and Bree looked at me. She said, what did you just say? You know, so it kind of went on from there. So anyway, I turned, I turned Fanny down. I could, you know, it's like, I got my orders from above. You are not going to be in another band called Fanny. And so that closed that door. It was hard yeah. to do because you know, yeah. we had really great material. And I went on the road with Chris in women's music. And that started me. I mean, I was there in the thick of it in the seismic shift of feminism and, and, uh, and music. It was incredible. Wow. I mean, you know, you, you may not know this, but it was, it was a woman who did fast car. You got a fast car. Um, oh, Tracy Chapman. Yeah. She's out of women's music, dude. You oh, know, wow. and people don't know that because she never talks. <laughs> yeah. There are so many powerful women and songs that have come through women's music. So that, so I was involved in women's music a lot mm. from, let's say, 76 on. And, and Gene and I actually also did an album 
called Ladies on the Stage, and that's a whole other subject which maybe we should talk about another time. But there are great songs on that album. Wow! Some of them. So wait, women's music was what a uh, 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 a musical project, a compilation, or I, I don't understand. <laughs> no, you're totally missing it. You're totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Women's music. Um, the simplest way I can put it is that it was a seismic shift. Okay. Of the whole world. It oh, was the whole world. People okay. may not have even known it, but women's music, the way that it married feminism, spirituality, and music uh-huh. changed so much. It was a separatist movement, so no guys were involved. Uh-huh. Um, and that changed like within a couple of years. But <laughs> so many amazing groups and singers in there. I know you've never heard of Sweet Honey and the Rock. And I mean, Michelle and Decacello was playing in women's music. You know, I mean, yeah. There was so much happening in women's music. It was essentially how I broke it down to myself to kind of figure out what was going on was I finally figured out, like, you know, six months to a year, I realized, oh, so all these women who were killed and brutalized and burned and murdered and, mm. uh, and men too, you know, through mm. time immemorial, there was like a hole that opened up in the sky. I kid you not. It was a vortex. And all these souls came pouring through. And they were at the concerts I was playing at with Chris. And yeah. they were at they were buying the records by the hundreds of thousands. And 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 nobody knew except us. I mean, us who knew. We knew. Mm. It was like a secret handshake. And it was really a big deal and it was really special. And it changed the world. I'm telling oh. you, seriously. Mm-hmm. This is all going to be in my second book, by the way. No, oh, cool. <laughs> I'm writing now. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! What? Okay, so that's what led to IMA. See, I, Anne and I started IMA, and uh, uh, basically we started to talk about it in uh, '85, '86. And you know, Angela mm. Davis was on the founding board. You may not even know who Angela Davis is. I know who Angela. Yeah, well, okay, well, Angela Davis, man. Oh my okay, God. Okay, well, she was on the founding board. She knew what I was talking about, you know. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. So we were marrying real revolution. I mean, you know, talk about yeah. me too. We were marrying super real revolution with this thing called women's music, which was an incredibly powerful force. We knew mm. how important it was, and we started IMA basically in 86. And then we moved here to... Uh, First, we were in um, Bodega, California, and we, we grew slowly, but we had finally got this place, and we had shows every week, and we had, you know, it was a, it was a, a big deal what we were doing, but we were doing it very quietly okay. so that it could grow. Because, yeah, you know, yeah. like like the Svelts, people didn't really want to hear about it. You know, like, you know women, you're going you're gonna to be blah, 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 blah. You right. should uh, <laughs> yeah. watch Anne's... Um, you should watch Anne's TED Talk. I mean, we both have TED Talks. So hers is called Leading from the Kitchen. Okay. And it's about how she realized that everything was happening, basically all the ideas and the camaraderie, camaraderie and the community was starting in the kitchen, which is how it's been done. Mm. You know, when, if it starts in the kitchen, it's going to stay. I mean, people yeah. were eating food and cooking yeah. food together at our place in Bodega. It's really a big deal and it's more than I can tell you about here, but we uh, finally, we uh, moved here to Goshen in 2001. And by that Mm. time, 
enough of IMA had been actually, you know, founded and um, uh, and the groundwork had been laid. So, you know, if a big wind come came, it was not going to, you know, blow your house down kind of. And that was very intentional because I had seen so many places, you know, clubs and women's bookstores and the women's big ideas and women's record companies and all that. I watched all that. You know, I was yeah. involved, but I wasn't trying to, you know, make a big statement myself. I was supporting like these great artists. And I know you've never heard of Holly Near or Mary Watkins, blah, 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 but I also produced their albums. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of stuff that went on. And, um, you know, by 86, we had, uh, 87, we had our 501 C3. By 2001, we moved here. We owned this property. property. So by 2002, we could start our rock and roll girls camps because we owned wow. the property. And now we have a barn that is a performance space because of our rock and roll, you know, recording camps. And we mm. have two recording studios in the barn. Wow. No, it's a big deal. It's never been done and it's being passed on to the next generation. Yeah. And they're going to pass it on. I mean, so when what, the girls found out that I'm going through these treatments, boy, I started to get the email. No, 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 no. <laughs> they don't want me to go yet. <laughs> right, right, right. So, yeah. so, so, what is it? Is it uh, a musician development center, or what? 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 See, what, you're what missing it. You're missing it, dude. You're missing it. Okay. It is a nonprofit organization that supports women and girls in music in whatever way we can. Wow. So when we started, we had no money. Okay. So we would play little clubs and raise a little bit of money. And when we do little workshops, maybe at a recording studio or somebody gave us some time. So we would teach about management and, you know, yeah. everything that you need to know as an artist. Think about yourself when you're 15. What did you need to find out? But we're right. doing it specifically for women and girls because wow. they need information. You know, guys can talk to each other's each other. You know, girls, yeah. you know, it's still really hard. So we have a safe place where they can learn this stuff and uh, camp and learn how to write a song and have a mentor you know yeah. a mentor program that hasn't happened before so we created it out of the need of real people <laughs> yeah yeah that's yeah. where you find those diamonds you know yeah you gotta, that's right you gotta you gotta give them a, a place to to shine you know well Man. we give them a place to not be crushed that's number one yeah because, yeah you know, People That's, would like to crush most girls. People would like to touch girls. People would like to do things to girls. You know, and they know that yeah. they and their parents know that when they come here, they are completely safe. And that is mm. really important. They know they have a safe place and they can talk about anything they can. I got you. Yeah, I mean, I they can just do anything that right. they want. But, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's a safe it's a safe, it's a safe place. space. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a safe place for, for girls yeah. to, to, to learn all of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and now I get it. Support adults too, as well, but right, you know. So our five hundred one c three statement says is to support women and girls in music in any way we can. Mm. You know, that's a big statement, and a lot of people disagree that we could even make it happen. But you know what? If you set your mind to it and you stick with the goal, yeah, we proved it with the Svelts. We proved it with Fanny. We proved it with women's music, and now we're doing it with Me Too and I May, and you know. Yeah, Thunberg and all that. I mean, it's really oh yeah. Your guns well, and you keep saying the truth. She's such a badass, right? <laughs> she's who she is, and she's telling yeah. the truth. 
know? I mean, yeah. I think she's badass. A lot of people think she's like an ugly creep. You know, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. sort of matter, right? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. She's doing what she's doing her. She's, she's doing, doing her. She's doing. Yeah. And it's making a difference. That's that's the main thing. Yeah. All right. So let's 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 tell everybody what's coming up. All of these movies, these plays, let's go through them one by one. So we, we well, if you would go to ima.org, ima.org for the musical arts website. And I would mm -hmm. like to mention Jean's uh, stroke fundraising side. I mean, you do know she had a stroke, right? Right, yes. Three years How's ago, she doing? She's doing, well, I mean, she's doing better, but it's not going fast enough for her because she, she wants to yeah. pick up the base, man. I so know. Anyway, Her, her site is uh, www.gofundme.com. That's mm -hmm. e easy to remember. Slash Jean-Millington-Go. That's the okay. part you remember. Gofundme.com slash Jean-Millington-Go. Um, and so we have the movie Fanny, colon, The Right to Rock. So that's really important. When's, when's uh, that coming out? Well, like I said, like May, June, you know, I mean, yeah. starting this summer, yeah. I can't give you an exact date because they'll get mad at me. They've <laughs> yeah, already no, gotten yeah. mad at me if I talk too much about it, but it is happening. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, and then we have the musical, which got delayed because of the pandemic. So I bet you it'll start, they'll start putting that together next year. And then we have the uh, script. They See, they, what they do is they buy the rights for my book, for my book. Mm. And so the script that they're going to write, I know that this is happening because they bought the rights to my book. And so yeah, yeah. there is a script being written in Hollywood, blah, 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 rucka, rucka. We'll see if it happens. They, they just bought their second option. So let's see. And, um, you know, there's an album that I'm going to be putting out, and I'm not sure what it's, it's going to be called, but I'm, I'm definitely doing that. And then I'm also turning Land of a Thousand Bridges, which you can only get at imay.org if you go mm. to the help section there's a pop down tab you go to merchandise and there you find my book i'm turning that into an audio book as well so that's quite a bit it's it's quite a bit my gosh <laughs> it's it's quite a bit and it's and my god i can't wait i can't wait i can't wait for people to more people to know about you and your sister and in your accomplishments especially the filipino community because yeah man it's mm -hmm. it it Because you did it, it's a fact. You did it. It's part of history. So Filipinos yeah, know yeah. need need to know. Yeah, Pinoy happened. Pride, people. Let's do it. Yeah, hashtag Pinoy Pride. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, Miss June Millington. Thank you so much for this. I really, I really appreciate it. I am your Absolutely. I am your newest fan. So <laughs> thank and maybe you. we can talk on the other side of all this stuff coming out. Oh yeah. Oh, I forgot for sure. to say the mm. Smithsonian is doing a. Uh, 60-foot, I think a 60-foot high display of me next year. They're going to have all these artifacts and, you know, from Svelts and Fanny and everything. So oh, this really? month, Smithsonian is getting into the uh, getting into the game. <laughs> wow. What, like a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame kind of thing? No, June Millington. It's not a Rock and Roll oh, Hall of Fame. Wow, June Millington. Think of this oh, my God. And you walk in and you see the June Millington thing. And, oh wow! Really? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. That's next year. So you know oh. that's going to be after all this that I'm talking about. See, see. I mean, all your hard work is paying off. Even yeah, man, I'm a legend. <laughs> yeah, you are. You are. You are. You are. 
yeah. I have to say yeah. you are. You know, not recognized enough, but you are. We're because gonna change it, that. We're gonna change that. Yeah. If 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 people like David Bowie write about you and John Lennon wants to meet you, yeah. <laughs> I mean, of course, I, I'm. I'm. Th- those are all the superficial things. But you are a great musician. You're you're in a great band. Your sister's a great bass player. Yeah, you're yeah, all you're great singers. My gosh, the voices that come out of your music is just awesome. Well, you know, Filipinas or Filipinos, you know, we got that musical thing that I know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So it's been fun talking. And uh, like I said, maybe we can do this on the other side of everything that's coming up. Yeah, for sure. We gotta hook up and I wanna jam with you sometime. <laughs> <laughs> you and, and like you know. So many other people in the world. Maybe we yeah. can all jam together at the same time, you know? Oh, my God. People are just <laughs> waiting to jam. All the musicians are like... Thing. That's their wish. <laughs> yeah. All right. WDRS uh, Talk with okay. the great June Millington of Fanny. Thank you very much. Maraming salamat. You're, you're an inspiration and a great musician. And I really appreciate the time that you've given me. Thank you. Walang anuman. Hey, thank you. <laughs> Bye. Okay. Ciao. Ciao. Um, take care, Miss June. Take care okay. with your treatments. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. More power to you. You too. Okay. Goodbye. Bye.